Eat Drink DFW from the Dallas Morning News is made possible by Central Market. Hey, North Texas food fans, welcome to Eat Drink DFW from the Dallas Morning News. Each week we dish on the local restaurant scene, food and drink trends, cooking and shopping tips, and unpack everything that makes North Texas one of the most vibrant, diverse, and ambitious food scenes in the country. I'm your host, food editor Aaron Bookie, and today we're getting ready for Valentine's Day and talking about what foods we find the most romantic. We'll also talk with Michelle Carpenter, chef and owner of Restaurant Beatrice in Oak Cliff, about Cajun food, sushi, and becoming a James Beard semifinalist. It all gets started right after this. Central Market is really into food. Like, when we say cheese, it's in 12 languages into food. Butchers, bakers, and sushi roll makers into food. We're talking so obsessive about quality you can shop blindfolded into food. Central Market is really into food. If you are too, then let us turn your shopping list into a treasure map. Get inspired, get adventurous, or just get a chef-made dinner when you've got more taste buds than time. No place makes every meal more amazing like Central Market. Really into food. Shop now at centralmarket.com. Welcome back, everyone. Be sure to go to dallasnews.com slash food after this for information on our show and lots of food and drink stories. And you can always share your thoughts with us at eatdrink at dallasnews.com. Later on, we'll be talking about Valentine's Day. But right now, I'm joined by food writers Sarah Blaskovich and Claire Baller to talk about what's trending. So, Sarah, I know you recently went on a little road trip and met Reba McIntyre. Can you tell us a little bit about how that went? Yeah, of course. She opened a new restaurant in Atoka, Oklahoma, which is just two hours north of Dallas and is really a simple drive straight up 75, which turns into 69 when you get into Oklahoma. She's from near there and decided that she wanted to help open this restaurant, which truly the townspeople think will change their town forever. Atoka, Oklahoma was struggling. It had a tough time during the pandemic. And she signed on to open this restaurant called Reba's Place, which is a three-story restaurant in a hundred-year-old Masonic temple. And they think that this will bring Dallasites and tourists from Oklahoma and beyond to see a place with the famous Reba McIntyre's name on it. And so what kind of food is it? The food is mostly Southern. Reba told us that she really likes cornbread and beans and otherwise isn't a huge cook. And so the chef took some of her inspirations and then made an upscale Southern menu. You can also, of course, get a filet. You can get Nashville hot chicken. Uh, They had a great banana pudding that I tried. And then at the end of this grand opening event, Reba put on a show and she played the first, call it minute of 10 songs or so. And it was just the loveliest thing, if I could say. On the second song, she sang Survivor and everybody was crying. And again, this song is only a minute long because she snipped them down so that she could get through a bunch of hits without everybody staying forever. It was so heartwarming. She seems like an incredibly genuine person who loves her hometown, who effortlessly performs. The way she sings is cool to see. I was sitting probably eight feet from her and she's just a tiny little red haired ball of energy and such a bright light. That's so neat that she's trying to save her hometown or nearby hometown. There's a lot of like lovely feelings about hometown Oklahoma folks combining forces with Choctaw Nation because this is Choctaw Nation land so that they can open a restaurant that will benefit all parties. That sounded like a great experience and a good little outing for people from Dallas. So Claire, you recently wrote a story that got a lot of interest from diners. Yeah, this was really just a guide on tipping and how people are expected to tip in 2023. And this is something that I didn't really realize is such a point of confusion still for a lot of diners. I think that's because I myself and you and Sarah as well, we're so up close and personal with the restaurant industry that we follow this closely. But a lot of people have been really confused about how tipping percentages work these days. And if you're supposed to tip 
on takeout orders and coffee shop orders the same way that you tip at a sit-down restaurant and how tips play into service charges and things like that. So this really was just a FAQ of sorts on all things tipping and restaurant fees and how to approach all of it. Claire, did anybody email you and say that they disagreed with the things you said? There are always those kinds of emails, Sarah. I know you get them a lot too. So (laughs) yes, (laughs) but mostly it was frustration of just the way things are with the state of tipping. The fact that um, restaurants will expect tips on top of service fees, which those function separately from tips. Those are a set percentage that usually go to cover restaurant operating costs and sometimes go back to employees but they aren't tips. So I got a lot of feedback from diners who were frustrated of the way that restaurants are using fees like that in addition to expecting tipping. So there's just a lot of, I think, frustration with the way all of this works. I think one of the problems is there's really no standardization in the industry. Like everyone's just sort of doing whatever. And there's no transparency about what consumers are expected to tip or who is a tipped worker. Or how a restaurant handles their tips. At some restaurants, that tip that you leave goes directly to the person who was serving you in full. At other restaurants, they use a tip pool. So all tipped employees get money from all the tips that were left that night. And they're distributed amongst everyone based on hours worked and things like that. You don't know those things, though, when you sit down as a diner. You also don't know how much that person is making hourly. In Texas, the minimum uh, wage for a tipped worker is $2.13 an hour. That's pretty standard across the board that most restaurant workers that you're interacting with are making that. But there are exceptions, right? We know of restaurants where people are making $15 or more hourly wages in addition to tips. But you just don't know that when you're sitting down and dining. For anybody listening, Claire said $2.00. 13 cents an hour. It bears repeating how little that is. It's shocking for people who don't think about it. That's the federally set minimum wage as well for restaurant workers. Now, each state can set their own. And um, Texas is one of several that still keeps that at $2.13 an hour. The more people I talk to, they do not know that. They're like, wait, what? What are you talking about? What is 213? When you sit with that and understand just how little that is, that's when you really realize, I mean, just how critical tips are. And so nowadays, the 20% tip is what is standard. And what I heard from restaurant workers was that for takeout orders, 10% or more seems to be what's generally acceptable for takeout orders. That looked a little bit different during the pandemic, right? People were more generously tipping on those orders since all food orders were takeout at that time. But 10 to 15% is what I heard for the sweet spot for takeout. Yeah. And I liked in your story, it actually made me feel a little bit better. And I think it should make diners feel a little bit better about what the expectations are, especially at coffee shops. And even with the to-go orders, they do the little spinny turnaround of the iPad where it says, it's just going to ask you a couple of questions. And (laughs) I know that is a thing that really super triggers people. And like 10% is usually not an option on there. Recently, I think I've even seen more typically now 20% as the minimum up to 30% listed as options for that. And that puts a lot of pressure on diners. And so I understand why there is frustration. 
After reading Claire's story, I realized a behavior that I have been utilizing during the pandemic and afterwards related to tipping. I tend to now pick coffee shops that I like and want to tip at over convenience because I know who's getting my tips and because I like them. Right. And especially with how expensive things are these days, I think more people are taking that approach, Sarah, of, okay, you know, I'm going to drop some money on my coffee routine this morning. I'm going to pick a place that I really value and people who I care about over a place that might be a little bit more convenient, a little bit closer to me. And so moving along, Sarah and Claire both, we have noticed, I think over the last couple of years, there's this bizarre phenomenon of cars driving into bakeries, restaurants, bars, just plowing through their windows. Terrible. And like, is this just a Dallas thing? I think a couple more happened just this week, Sarah. They did. And you can read a story about that on dallasnews.com slash food. Sadly, we are more distracted than ever when we're in our cars. And a wacko side news story when it comes to restaurants specifically, right, is that restaurants are closing and diners and restaurant owners in Dallas-Fort Worth have been injured by cars. So it's not just stuff in the middle of the night when a restaurant was not open. That's happened twice at S&D Oyster Company after two o'clock in the morning, and thankfully no one was in there. But it's also happening during business hours. These two incidents last week, one at Myers Garden on Henderson Avenue in Dallas, and one at an Italian restaurant at Preston and Frankfurt in far north Dallas. Both of those, there were people nearby. And at the Italian restaurant, four people were injured. At the bar on Henderson, there was a couple on the patio that were not injured, but completely shaken up to watch a car come barreling at them through a cinder block wall. It's awful. You guys put down your phones. Yeah. And so what do we think is the problem here? I've watched a few of the videos and it really just looks like people are hitting the gas instead of a brake. I don't, I don't veering, know what. Veering yeah. off of the road. This Myers Garden, for instance, is kind of on a corner. So it's like, did this person take a wrong turn, try to make a U-turn? I don't know the answers to those. Oftentimes, but not all the time, these people are impaired. There's also been incidents, like you said, Aaron, of just hitting the wrong pedal with your foot. Some of these that we've seen aren't just like a car bumping into the building, right? Maybe right. kind of breaking a window. Like some of these have been completely inside, like car fully inside the building, Yes, which is wild. I mean, it's just, and it's also sad because any day lost for business is tough for a restaurant and to have to shut down and reconstruct for something like that is wild. The other thing that's just kind of odd and tangential is that I think some of them are worried that there's like a reputation problem here. Mm. You know, if a, if a car runs into your restaurant, it probably has nothing to do with the restaurant. But, you know, then all the people on next door start talking about how a car ran into that restaurant. And you wonder if three weeks later when that family wants Italian food or wants a beer, do they not pick that place because it was unsafe for three minutes on that one day? Diners are going into restaurants and probably asking for not the window seat. Just yes. Sit me oh as gosh. far back as possible <laughs> in your restaurant. Yeah. At least with the window, you can kind of see it coming. I don't know. <laughs> Thanks, guys. Stick around. We're going to talk with Michelle Carpenter, chef and owner of Restaurant Beatrice in Oak Cliff. Central Market is really into food. Like when we say cheese, it's in 12 languages into food. Butchers, bakers, and sushi roll makers into food. We're talking so obsessive about quality, you can shop blindfolded into food. Central Market is really into food. If you are too, then let us turn your shopping list into a treasure map. Get inspired, get adventurous, or just get a chef-made dinner when you've got more taste buds than time. No place makes every meal more amazing like Central Market. Really into food. Shop now at centralmarket.com. 
Welcome back, everyone. I'm so excited to chat today with Michelle Carpenter, a longtime Dallas chef. She has owned Oak Cliff Restaurant Zen Sushi for 15 plus years and the newer Restaurant Beatrice, which was just named a semifinalist for Best New Restaurant in the 2023 James Beard Awards. Since this is your first time on our show, I would love to hear kind of about your background, where you grew up, and some of your favorite food memories. Well, I'm half Japanese, half Cajun. I was born in Tokyo. My father was in the military, and I lived there for five years. We moved around a little in Japan, so I got to see a lot of different areas. We came here, I guess, when I was five years old, moved to Texas and Louisiana, back to Texas, back to Louisiana. So been around a lot. My mother and her mother used to make the most amazing meals, and I got to watch as a child. And I didn't realize how much of an impression that would leave me until later on when I got older. But I loved how much thought and intention they put into their food. All the different things that they would make homemade mochi, sashimi, we would do grilled fish. It was a lot of homestyle cooking and they had a little bit of land and they got to grow their own fruits and vegetables. And I was very nice to go to the garden and grab some stuff and incorporate it into the dishes that we had. It's some of my most cherished memories. That's amazing. And is that what prompted you to go into food as a career? Not at all. It was never a part of my thought of what I wanted to do in my life. But I didn't realize my family was so centered around food. Every family occasion, every happy moment, every sad moment was always around food and the family. And that's just how we expressed our feelings for each other, our love. When I moved to the United States, I got to meet my Cajun side of my family. And it was a complete culture shock coming from Tokyo to (laughs) rural Louisiana. (laughs) But I loved it. I embraced it. My family embraced us and it was very special. We would go fishing, you know, we'd go to the swamp, do crawfishing there. We would get catfish, bring it back, clean it, and we'd have a huge family meal. And I, I love the idea of catching your own food and growing your own vegetables, coming back home and having a big family meal. Yeah, I guess there's some similarities between Louisiana and Japan being so close to seafood and everything's kind of centered around that. Exactly. And I've used a lot of my sushi knowledge, of course, you know, with seafood uh, at Beatrice, we have a lot of seafood dishes that we offer. The treatment, obviously, and the technique is different. But I think that some things translate very well. And so a lot of people don't really realize that you're one of the few female sushi chefs in existence. I really didn't know about that when I embarked on my career 35 years ago. Of course, I encountered some obstacles. I didn't realize how rare and uncommon it was. I guess I got a lot of, you're a woman, you can't be a sushi chef. Or you're not Japanese and you can't be a sushi chef. You know, back in the 80s when I first started training, it was very dominated by Japanese men. You know, it was it was hard, but I did find a place in California to do my apprenticeships. And there were three restaurants. So I got to see all these master chefs at these three restaurants and see their different techniques and their styles. I got to basically learn on my own because it was there weren't a lot of people that took me under their wing. I don't know what it was, like it was a language barrier or something, but it allowed me to see 30 master chefs. And even though we may not have been able to communicate in Japanese, I was still able to see these things and put it into practice and develop my own style and my own technique. So Zen Sushi has been around for 15 plus years now. What was the Dallas food scene like when you opened that? I would say in Oak Cliff, there were very few restaurants in Oak Cliff at the time. It's kind of hard to imagine right now. (laughs) 
<laughs> right now, yes, it's, it's yes, we have a, a bunch, and and thank God we do because I I feel like Oak Cliff we deserve that. You know, people here are, are very diverse. It's a very diverse area. It's an exciting time right now, but 15 years ago, it was pretty barren. And so how did you decide to open restaurant Beatrice? Well, Cajun food has always been a part of my life. And I wanted to, you know, after spending 15 years sort of dedicating this restaurant to my mom and my grandmother, my Japanese grandmother, I certainly needed to fulfill that other half of me. And I needed to open this restaurant for my Cajun family. Do you feel like those two sides of you compete at all or do they work together? Well, now they certainly work together, but... Growing up, it was difficult to navigate. Both of my families completely and 100% accepted me for being biracial. But outside of my family, there was a difference. You know, I had one foot in one culture and one foot in the other. And in between was who I developed into. Okay, so let's talk a little bit about the essential Cajun dishes that you have on your menu. Like what, what makes a good gumbo? There's a lot of different opinions about gumbo. <laughs> But um, I think the main ingredient is time. You really need to put the time and intention in a nice pot of gumbo. Of course, the most popular items are the fresh catch, which changes every two or three days. Of course, the shrimp and grits are popular. Whenever we do etouffee, that's popular. So we change our menu a lot. So about once a week, we change our menu. The fresh catch changes two or three times a week based on, you know, how much stock we have. What are your thoughts on sort of the Dallas dining scene in general? I was I was pretty impressed by the amount of restaurants and chefs we had on the, the James Beard semifinalist list. But what do you think are some of the strengths of the Dallas dining scene right now? Well, I think one of the, the strengths is that we have a lot of diversity. There are a lot of small restaurants. There's a lot of independent restaurants. There's ethnic restaurants that I think don't get enough attention. These people work just as hard as a James Beard nominee. They put all of their love, all of their own culture into their food. These places deserve attention, maybe less chains. There's a place for chains in Dallas, certainly, but I would like to see less. So you talked about all the challenges with running a restaurant. And so what makes it really worth it to you to keep going? I think um, to be received and acknowledged and accepted for who I am is perhaps maybe the most meaningful thing in life. Um, My food is an extension of who I am and it's the greatest honor and privilege, I guess, not to have to compromise any part of that. It's a gift to tell my story uh, through my food and it's an expression of who I am. Thanks so much, Michelle. Stay with us. Coming up in our next segment, we'll talk about our favorite ways to celebrate Valentine's Day. That's right after this. Hey listeners, this is Christopher Wynn. I'm the arts and entertainment editor for the Dallas Morning News. And that thankfully includes the food team that you're listening to right now. What I love about this beat is that food stories are people stories. Restaurants say a lot about who we are, our culture, and the health and well-being of our communities. If you want to help continue supporting this good work, it's easy. Just subscribe to the Dallas Morning News and become a member. You'll find a special offer just for listeners at dallasnews.com slash listen. 
Welcome back, everyone. It's officially February, and that means the restaurant industry is gearing up for Valentine's Day. It's a big food day of the year, from lobster to steak to chocolate. And the food team is here to share our favorite romantic foods and how we like to celebrate. So, Sarah, I'll let you go first, because I know you had some thoughts about what kind of Valentine's Day meal you like. Yeah, so I think a lot of people think Valentine's Day is like a big eye roll. I'm not one of those because my husband and I met after I got stood up on a date for Valentine's Day. If you're interested in that story, you should listen to the first episode of the Eat Drink DFW podcast, available everywhere where you get your podcasts. But Valentine's Day is a fun day for my husband and I. We don't over-celebrate it by any means, but it doesn't slide by without getting talked about because it was special to us. I feel strongly that a prefix menu on Valentine's Day is a less good food option. Mm. I know why restaurants are doing this. They say, you know, pick one of these two salads or soups, pick this one appetizer, pick this dessert from a list of three. They are slammed on Valentine's Day. They want to get twice as many people in as they can. They want everybody to be happy and they want their food to be perfect. And having a smaller, more focused menu is an excellent way to do that. But I eat for a living and I love restaurants. And so I don't want the couple of things they think I want. I want the beautiful stuff on their menu that they serve all the other days. So I almost never pick a restaurant with a prefix menu, although I respect and understand why so many of these places are doing that. That said, I almost never go out on Valentine's Day proper. We pick a different day. Sometimes it's Saturday before or Saturday after, but sometimes it's just the less slammed day so that we can get in, eat the food that we want, and just don't feel like it's a production love day. We feel like it's a lovely dinner day that happens to be in February. I totally agree with with you. A lot of the menu items on Valentine's Day are often the same. It's steak, lobster, flourless chocolate cake. And it's kind of like, uh, can we just get something a little Sometimes bit different? Sometimes you have to share your dessert because you're in love and you don't get your own. <laughs> yeah, two my spoons. husband and I are like, I want two desserts, please. And we're going to share them <laughs> if we choose, but don't make me share. Yeah. What about you, Claire? I avoid restaurants at all costs on Valentine's Day. I, I, I just, I don't think it's a great time to go have a restaurant experience unless you are really more interested in people watching than food, which I have had some great meals on Valentine's Day at restaurants for that reason. Yeah, I think usually you're probably not going to get the same experience at a restaurant that you would on a different day. Um, That being said, I mean, I think, Sarah, to your point, I think restaurants do the best they can with a really, really high volume day. But to me, uh, Valentine's Day is not a huge thing for me. Erin, how do you handle Valentine's Day? So also, we do not go out on Valentine's Day. We actually don't even celebrate it. Because like my firmly br- don't celebrate it because it's stupid. Yeah. And it's funny because when we first started dating, I told my now husband, I was like, don't worry about Valentine's Day. You don't need to do anything. And all of his friends were like, dude, do not listen to her. <laughs> <laughs> but also my birthday is in late January. So it seems like Valentine's Day, the timing of it was always just sort of, oh, God, another holiday. But honestly, for like a date night type thing, I don't really like the big extravagant meal anyway. Like I'm more of a seedy bar person. CD bar. <laughs> you know? I love a CD bar. That's awesome. You know, like a hole in the wall in the dark. That to me is like a really romantic evening. But I do love chocolate and I will eat the chocolates. You know, growing up, my mom was a teacher, so she was big on like the little holidays. So we always got like a Valentine's Day present. So I almost see it as not even like a romantic holiday. I'm really into like the friendship parties and the Galentines. That's kind of what I prefer. Erin, milk chocolate or dark chocolate? Oh, dark chocolate always. Good answer. This year, I am hosting a Valentine's-themed bridal brunch for a girlfriend who's getting married. And I'm super excited about some of the chocolates. Speaking of chocolates, I bought a big pack of Kate Weiser truffles and they're heart-shaped. 
and you can get them filled with four or five of their different flavors. So I'm getting these pink hearts filled with raspberry. It's the most delicious thing. They're beautiful bonbons. And I think that'll be a fun party favor at the end. So if anybody needs an idea for their sweetheart and likes chocolate like the rest of us do, Kate Weiser is an excellent option. Yeah, I'm always down for a box of chocolates. So maybe I'll start encouraging my husband to at least do that. (laughs) And that's all the time we have for Eat Drink DFW this week. Thank you all for joining and I hope we've made you hungry for more. We also want to hear from you, so share your food thoughts, favorite restaurants, or tasty recipes with us at eatdrink at dallasnews.com. The show is produced by Julie Fisk. To stay up to date on every episode of this show and hear more from our newsroom, just follow the Dallas Morning News wherever you get your podcasts. And if you like what you hear, please rate the show and give us a good review. Find links to everything we do at dallasnews.com slash listen. You'll also find a special membership offer there just for listeners. For the news, I'm Aaron Bookie. Thanks for listening, and we'll see you next week. Eat, drink, DFW. From the Dallas Morning News is made possible by Central Market.